0: Welcome to the Liberty Portal podcast by libertyportal.com, your gateway to a free society. On this show, we examine current events through a libertarian lens, seeking truth, cracking jokes, and providing you with better arguments to advocate for a freer world. The show is hosted by David Rand, political strategist and philosophy nerd, widely known as the devil of Montana politics. Henri Pellerin, Liberty Portal founder and editor, entrepreneur and fitness enthusiast. And myself, Joe Sheehan, filmmaker, and Liberty Portal producer. Excellent. Gr- Grandpa David's got his readers. <laughs> <laughs> okay.
1: <laughs> I like my title. <laughs> well, you, that's your
0: title. You called <laughs> yourself that. Uh, by the way, you called yourself the devil of Montana politics. I know I did. I, 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 that's I said, great. But you that's guys great. don't get it. I, <laughs>
2: people think of me that way. I, I, you know? I know. I've, I've worked so. with you. Like, I've, seen, I've seen it. <laughs> Why are you called that? Why am I called that? You're the evil Coke, bro. It's it's not necessarily that someone said, you're the devil, right? It's more that because I take stances that don't neatly fit into any singular group or party, uh, oftentimes that puts me on the outs. And so I have to be very careful sometimes about how I come off, right? Because everything in politics is done at majority plus one. So what you're trying to do is be independent as much as you can, but also... Signal to people, hey, I am on your side and I really am. And there's so much lack of faith and trust and stuff like that. It just gets driven down, you know. I don't know. That's yeah. probably not a good explanation. No, that's I, fair. Why did I call myself that? I'm often treated that way and that's, that's part of it. Well, I'm just treated like the yeah. bad guy. even No matter how much I'm like, no, guys, I'm motivated by trying to help us, you know, everybody. Yeah,
1: You're outside the box and people can't really pin you down as the regular lobbyist or the regular you know whatever right. like you know you don't fit neatly into like oh this is the republican group this is the democrat group you're much more of like these are my main issues and sometimes it, it has you floating between one group or another you
2: know right i don't even fit into the lp right none of these groups really were in fact even if you put in the libertarian philosophy all of a sudden i'm finding myself like I am libertarian. I believe on these core principles, but at times I'm like, Hey, we really ought to, we can learn something from this and we can learn something from this. And then, I know it's not libertarian, but I'm not just that thing. I'm one me. Oh, well, right.
3: And these so that, these that,
1: ideological that, boxes, they, they're very confining. They don't paint the entire picture of how nuanced people can be. Like it was this, it's the same thing, right. Of, uh, if you, you know, like I was like, you're a Republican, but you disagree with this one core issue that's with Republicans, but you agree with a bunch of the, these other things. It's like, well, why don't you believe in this thing? It's like, well, this has nothing to do with these other things. Like, you know, your abortion stance doesn't really have anything to do with your economic stance and your taxation stance. Right? Like,
2: those are false choices. Yeah. Right. I, it's, it's all tribal. It's not lost on me that I'm wearing red while we're talking about it, but well, you are. <laughs> and, and as a filmmaker, red
0: and tight knit patterns are actually like the two worst things you can do oh, on really? camera. you want me to put on my sweater? <laughs> uh,
2: Would it be yeah, easier? Yeah, sure,
0: sure. Let's all black out. Yeah.
2: Sorry. I was just like, that's what, also not a great color. <laughs> Where, what shirt do I have as clean? That's the only thing. That's, that's the only question I asked.
0: Well, we need a, an apparel sponsor, obviously. So <laughs> if you're watching this.
2: Ooh, uh, State and Liberty. If you want to give us some. Have you ever had that brand? I have not. Oh, it's so good. It's like the best dress shirts. Man, I love their shirts. They're so great for my body type, especially because they're like stretchy four ways and they're, but they're still like a nice, actually, I think this is State lumber.
0: Is it really? Yeah. Well, um, I'm going to make that into a little clip and we're going to send it to him. he we'll would be like, would you guys like some publicity? We've got 39 we, we, downloads. We, got 30 <laughs> nine. we have an audience of 39. <laughs> 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 the audience is much larger than that. I, I think, you know, generally like, like 50 at least. It's a, anyway. it's a starting podcast. Oh, sure. You got to start somewhere. That's true. Should we start the show? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, f- I figured we were, we're starting. <laughs> I did too, but I don't know. Maybe i probably just do something proper. All right, everybody. Welcome back to Liberty Portal podcast. I'm joined by David Rand, political strategist and philosophy nerd, and Kyle Mack, self-titled D-Gen Crypto Bro and Pudgy Penguin Collector. <laughs> thanks that's for a having, mouthful.
1: Thanks for having me back. Thanks for coming back. Wait, what does D-Gen mean? Degenerate. Oh, man. I like, have... Everyone in the crypto space just calls ourselves degenerates. How old are you? I'm yeah. not a
2: Zoomer. That's what
3: I am.
1: At the end of the day, we're just all gamblers. Like, oh. that's what it is. <laughs> At least, you know, it, it is
0: what it is. Yeah. Yeah. We know exactly what we're doing. Fair enough. Nothing on this show is ever intended to be financial advice, especially not from him. True. True. (laughs) Although, although I do like the pudgy penguins. That's fair. Um, Before we get started, if you are watching this on YouTube, please do like and subscribe wherever you are listening to this on your podcast platform of choice. We do appreciate it if you follow us. So let's go ahead and jump into it. David, David, So you brought this to us, the Israeli prime minister coming out and saying that the U.S. blocked his attempts at a Russia-Ukraine peace deal. Uh, What's going on here?
2: So at the early point of the initiation of aggression by Russia on Ukraine, there was an attempt by the Israelis to bring everybody to the table and stop what was going to happen. The interesting part of there that most folks won't know is that in Syria, Israel and Russia are working together. Right. So they, they have a collaboration that's very important to the interests of Syria or to Israel and Russia. What are they doing there? Uh, well, it's complicated. Uh, it's like a seven sided war down there. So it's it, we can do a whole thing just about that uh, particular engagement. But uh, it is on behalf of Assad against rebels that Israel claims are backed by Iran. Gotcha. Uh, but so like it's it's a strange situation because Iran and Russia also have an agreement, uh, kind of an understanding And then, additionally, that when we were in Syria, in fact, we probably still are, we're probably on the side of some of the factions of the rebels in that case. Interesting. So, Israel and
0: Russia are working together in Syria. The U.S., if we're still involved, which we may be, are maybe
2: operating on the side of the rebels? Well, at least at one point we were. Okay. And maybe not anymore. One of the things about this is this is all very... Sounds super hat, convoluted way behind the scenes. Like you can't really find good information about this stuff. Um, that, that said there is, there's not, there's a lack of clarity because we've been at several different, you know, junctures in the Syrian conflict on different sides. We keep flipping back and forth. There was actually a point where also depends on
1: the agency. Like at the time, even our own agencies have been on different sides of each other in the conflict. Right. In Syria.
2: There was a point where we were actually on the side of Al Qaeda in the area against the regime against Assad. Right, we were giving weapons to Al Qaeda, Mm -hmm. the guys who attacked us on 9/11. Seems like a just a
0: really logical thing.
2: (laughs) Exactly, (laughs) why not? Well, and
1: it was it was like like there was even a point in time where it was like um, the CIA. And the Pentagon, just at large, was like one was the Al Nusra front, one was uh, one was ISIS, and yeah, you know, they're they're just they just were ending up fighting each other in there. <laughs>
2: That's right. So the the so that that Israel has a very important role to play in the relationship between the R- Russia and uh, the U.S. when it comes to Middle Eastern politics. So he gets together. He tries to make this whole thing happen. He claims on this YouTube uh, that America blocked his attempt at uh Russia Ukraine peace now. Now after that he got a bunch of pressure from the outside. Uh he sensed there was another article that says he walked back uh his statements, but then when you look at the article, he doesn't actually say that it didn't happen like the US didn't do something. It was just that he wasn't able to agree to get all the people to the table in the first place and he believes that part of that was the US putting pressure to keep it from happening. Which is which is a, which is a big which is a signaling point, right? It isn't one piece of data that's going to help persuade the world that America hasn't exactly taken the position that everyone would like. Like everyone would like it, every, every American would like it if our State Department was taking the position of maximizing peace and cooperation in the world. Uh, unfortunately, that does not appear to be what's happening in Ukraine. It isn't just a story that t- picks up when, like I said in the very first podcast, that Ukraine invaded or sorry, Russia invaded Ukraine. It's actually a more complicated story of America having lots of different interests uh, in Ukraine that does not was not focused on peace in the area. And uh, we really ought to do a singular video at some point to really lay out the history here so that folks can easily get kind of updated on the background of this conflict.
1: A few months ago, too, wasn't there... Uh, wasn't it Boris Johnson that was... They got involved in saying that there can't be a peace talks with Ukraine and Russia, right?
0: I was actually going to ask that because I do recall there being some piece of news where Boris Johnson was had gone to Ukraine and sort of disrupted the early potential for peace talks between Russia and Ukraine. We'll have to make sure we pull
2: up some source yeah. to... This
1: was like a couple months or even just like a month after the initial invasion.
2: Right. At the time. Early, early. Right. Yeah. And there's a whole bunch of stories like that that keep on trickling in. And once again, there's always a pushback from, you know, a certain segment of the, of the intelligentsia. To say, well, there's reasons why that didn't happen. Uh, And there's always a reason why Russia might not be a good faith actor or other sorts of um, considerations at play. But when you look at the totality of all the evidence as it comes in, at least it's reasonable, I think, to say something to the effect of that the U.S. State Department is more interested in using Ukraine as a platform to weaken Russia than they are to actually ensure the the security of Russia or Ukraine as a people and and ongoing peace and prosperity. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Zesty Beverages.
0: They're on a mission to unfuck the standard American diet by crafting drinks with fewer calories and more nutrients from real food. Their lineup of delicious offerings now includes Electric Peak Yerba Mate, postbiotic sodas, keto-friendly, ready-to-drink margaritas, and hard teas. Wondering what a postbiotic soda is? Well, head on over to ZestyBev.com to learn more and find a retailer near you. Once again, check them out online at ZestyBev.com. That's Z-E-S-T-Y-B-E-V.com. Right, and that brings us into this next component here, which is, you know, U.S. Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia um, at the World Economic Forum talking about how he opposes any kind of peace agreement between Ukraine and Russia. Um, I mean, he's, he's a very powerful elected official, you know, especially according to, uh, I mean, we're citing here, this, uh, sub stack from, um, Caitlin Johnstone, you know, why, why is it that someone like Joe Manchin would come out and, and say he opposes this? I mean, it's obvious because he wants to weaken Russia. That is the priority. You, the Ukrainian people, the security of that state, the sovereignty of that state is obviously not their priority. According to Someone like Joe Manchin. Is there, right?
2: And that's because they're embracing this paradigm that it's either Russia or Russia is no longer led by Putin. Right. Which he very specifically says getting rid of Putin. Uh, and he says things like until total victory, those sorts of problems, uh, those sorts of that, that. The problem with that point of view is it's one is very unrealistic. Right. It's How do you get rid of a leader of a country that has nuclear weapons that could destroy the world? <laughs> Uh, two, uh, how do you how do you approach peace when you say that when the starting point of negotiation is you have to do, you have to end your country? right? Now that's actually criticism. You can also apply to Russia. One of the things that Putin has said is, hey, we need to you know the only the only agreement that I'd settle for is one where the, Russia, Ukraine gets a new government, right? Meaning not Zelensky anymore. Uh, now, the difference is is one is a dictator and the other one's supposedly democratically elected. Right. Putin is like a very, that's a very hard target to say, well, you should step down versus Zelensky who's supposedly a democratically elected person who can then be elected by a new, you know, Ukrainian, you know, election. Yeah. But the, um, the
1: change of power in that government was done basically after a coup in the previous, uh, administration. Yeah. That was, Ukraine that was, too, right?
2: that was a couple of, that was, uh, a couple people ago. Um, Zelensky, th- we don't have any evidence of, of it, Zelensky, not Zelensky. himself, but like his, uh, his like power base. Yeah. That's, uh, that is not right. the
1: previous administration. Poroshenko. Right? Yeah. That,
2: that election. And that, and that's, what's interesting about that one is that's right after, uh, both the Maidan massacre and as well as the Maidan, uh, revolution and what happened there. Um, and, and then, and then what's interesting about that in that space is that we do have leaked cable, um, you know, leaked audio of us intelligence officials, uh, basically choosing who gets to, who's going to be the next leader of, Ukraine, which ended up being Zelensky. Right? Yeah, right. Well, not, not well. Eventually, Zelensky. First, it was or oh, okay. whatever his Prashanko. name is. Then it was, and the, and the, and Kyle's point is that pretty much that coalition that was pulled together after that is the one that is still currently in power. Yeah,
1: like Zelensky just comes out of that coalition. Yes,
2: right? yeah. But but important to note that Zelensky did come to power promising to enforce the Minsk Accords and and to try to do something with the Donbass to encourage peace. One of the one of the criticisms, at least, has come from uh, people who are skeptical of the State Department, is that the U.S. really didn't back him up in making that happen. In fact, we might have actually undermined his ability to make that happen if he indeed did do that, and he didn't, like all politicians, uh, claim one thing and then do another once they got into power.
0: Totally. One other component of this conflict was the destruction of the Nord Stream two pipeline. And in a recent piece by Seymour Hirsch. So he's come out in a in a recent uh, Substack article and said that it was in fact the United States that blew up the Nord Stream two pipeline, which I think a lot of us who were perhaps dissecting this or thinking about the incentives and what might have gone on and who might have perpetrated this act seem to conclude, although not you know officially, that it was probably the United States. He's now asserting that that is a fact.
2: What's so, what's, what's really interesting with this when you com- combine this what we were just talking about. Is that the charges that he says were placed? Like these were charges that were that, that divers went into the water, placed on the pipeline, were placed months and months before the initial aggression by Russia. That's a really important component that of that. Because once you think of that, then you ask yourself, just putting it all, putting pieces together here, did the US discourage, you know, treat peace talks with the Israeli prime minister? as examples, or discourage the non-enforcement of the Minsk Accords because they wanted this result with the Nord Stream 2 pipeline in a way that would cover it, right? And he, what he says is that there were military operations in the area, like a uh, NATO was running a uh, exercise, and that's when they placed these charges. Uh, this was in 2002 or 2022. Uh, with that, then they had to wait until Russia went to war to then blow up the pipeline.
1: Are are you, are you suggesting cuz there's like an interesting logic thread that might exist here. Are you suggesting that um there's kind of like a high level geopolitical chess game going here that maybe ushers Europe towards American independent like indep- or dependence on American energy and things like that? Like is there maybe like a higher level game that exists there (laughs) Uh, so so
2: that's often been accused of american foreign policy that it's in the interest Mm. of uh powerful international oil cartels because not only has it cut off germany
1: away from russia but now there's a you know there's there's kind of the meme of uh europeans germans in particular starving throughout the winter but this is just going to put even more dependence on the united states
2: right uh right? that that's true but i don't think it's that clear cut uh it, it might be slightly more international than that yeah. not just the united states at play for. so for example another thing i was accused after the the hirsch story broke was that there's been an announced a a new a pipeline uh going in from denmark uh to germany mm-hmm. to provide natural gas so Interesting. like it, it's, it, it was definitely and when you zoom up just as far as you can and really try to look at the chessboard as it sits, mm-hmm. you ask yourself, okay, so if they're trying to arrange, trying to do economic warfare in this key way, and that's what the sanction regime is, that's what the dollar regime is when it comes mm-hmm. to dollars versus the BRICS system. And we can dive into that another time, but there's really two big financial systems that clash across the globe. Uh, those two, and I'm not being a conspiracy theorist here. I'm really just engaging with the facts as I see them, I promise. Uh, with those things, what I see is if this is true, and, we, and we're going to get into why Hirsch should be carefully, carefully considered for this and, and weighed heavily, uh, we, we need to think about to what degree this foreign policy is being driven by economic interests and short-term economic thinking on behalf of the state department.
0: Can I just interject before we go down that road? Because I want to make sure that I'm understanding this sort of the broader picture that you're talking about here. So it is it is known from statements made by American politicians and others that it is the West's goal to weaken Russia. More so, more so than it is their goal to defend the sovereignty of Ukraine, although that is sort of a byproduct of, of that outcome. Meanwhile, you've said that Seymour Hirsch has just revealed that the charges placed on the Nord Stream 2 pipeline were done months before the conflict broke out in Ukraine last year. We know from the history of American interventionism that many of the wars that we've fought recently, particularly in the Middle East are around resource rich areas. So there's this sort of trend that the United States is involved in, or the West more broadly is involved in conflicts that, tend to secure access to natural resources, petroleum specifically, or to move influence from other non-cooperative nations uh, into the hands of the West or the United States. Is that kind of, am I, am
2: I looking at that correctly? That, that is a way to assess the facts, I think. Okay. I mean, because I think a
0: lot of people would say like that, those are some pretty heavy claims that sounds somewhat conspiratorial. Can you now go into the subject of who Seymour Hirsch is and, and why you think his story is compelling and why he is credible? Yeah. Like why
2: should we believe why Let's should do we believe that. this? I want to make one point first though. Sure. If you're a leftist and you spent the entirety of Bush's presidency claiming that it was a war for oil, and you don't use the same rationale here, mm-hmm. you've missed the boat. You've missed the whole thread. Because if if it, if it it's true when it comes to Bush and uh, Dick Cheney's outfit, I forget what it's called. Halliburton. Right now, Halliburton. Why isn't it true here? Why couldn't it be true? Well, let's also remember
1: a lot of the stuff that was going on with Ukraine prior to all this. Like you had the Burisma stuff that was going on, the Trump investigating into the Biden connections there, which is what he ended up getting impeached for, which you see the system kind of turn on him for investigating these things, right? Um like there, there are a lot of data points that exist here with all the, everything that's on the lead up to Ukraine. Mm-hmm. So. But
2: there's no, I mean, the, one of the things here is because we're dealing with the CIA, the FBI, the, uh, the intelligence apparatus of the state, we don't, and we, we're not a republic, right? They're not accountable to us. They don't yeah. get, they don't tell the public what they're doing. Uh, it's designed not to allow that to happen. So therefore we have to speculate. We have to, we have to be engaged in this because they don't, they're not open and transparent. In fact, they've given us nothing but reasons to not believe them, right? If you're paying attention over a long enough period of time, why would you? Because otherwise you were being a tool of their manipulation. Now, if, if, if a lefty uh, can say the media exists as a manufacturing of consent factory, why would we believe that that's not exactly what the intelligence apparatus is doing especially when you see what they're doing at twitter what they've done with project mockingbird and what they're doing across all these different domains of american institutions in order to influence the way we think and what we talk about so seymour hirsch we, we should die on that. <laughs> and, and yeah. well you,
1: and you brought up manufacturing consent like that's uh, noam chomsky's yeah, book right? That's right, yeah that's right that's on. the uh, um very worth wor- very worthwhile reading and you were mentioning joe about like it kind of gets into this conspiratorial land that's what the cia exists to do they exist to to conspire and to, uh, and to enact their will on the world, right?
2: <laughs> the exactly. yeah, CIA is a conspiracy factory because that's yes, what they do. That, that is, that is their job. Their job. <laughs> their
0: job is to do that. I think if you look at the track record of most quote-unquote conspiracy theorists over the last, <laughs> well, I mean, even just the last few years, let alone the last few decades, you know, it's like 25 and 0, basically. There, there's some weird <laughs> shit out there for sure, but most of them have actually some grain of truth to them or have become you know Some people take fact. things
1: too far and run wild with them. Right. And that's where you get into like Q territory and stuff. Right. But you know, at, at the end of the day, like what was, what are some of the ma- most major events in, in history, especially in recent hundreds of years, they're all, they all started with conspiracies. Like the American revolution was a conspiracy. <laughs> it was a conspiracy to overthrow the British.
2: That's right. Um, that's right. I, in fact, the, the mafia, the Italian mafia at one point was a conspiracy theory. Uh, this idea that all these Italian families are all actually worked together in one bit of hierarchy well, for until it was, you know, until they were caught, they uh, they were a conspiracy theory. So Seymour Hirsch, why he's so important? Uh, this guy uh, is the guy who we know about the My Lai massacre in Vietnam because of Seymour Hirsch. Now, why that? What Go was ahead. that? So, if you really want to know, if you really if you want to connect with this, you got to check out Jocko Willock's podcast and his work on the My Lai massacre. It is, it will ruin your week. <laughs> it, is, it is the most depressing, horrifyingly bad thing that the U.S. military d- did in Vietnam, probably. I mean, there are lots of bad things like Vietnam, uh, especially when it comes to uh, the use of napalm and stuff like that. But the, um, this was an American military unit that was told by its uh, commanding officer to go to this village uh, to basically take out this village. There were no combatants in that village, and they did exactly that. Uh, terrible war crime. All these innocent people died. Uh, rape used as a, you know, a, a weapon of war. Uh, just absolutely horrifyingly bad uh, episode in American uh, war history. Uh, we would not know about that if when for Seymour Hersh reporting anonymously from anonymous sources that this was a thing. Uh, and then eventually he was able to square out and actually get the State Department to admit it. Um, I, I think the uh, do, do you want to watch the video on 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 Hirsch, and it probably does a good job about it. Let's do that. Yeah, I haven't seen this yet.
3: This is a man who authorized the first use of napalm in Vietnam, the first use of defoliants, American investigative journalist Seymour Hersh has made a career of speaking truth to power. It was his reporting that famously revealed the U.S. government's cover-up of the My Lai Massacre during the Vietnam War. It earned him the 1970 Pulitzer Prize for international reporting. Americans did this to an Iraqi prisoner. According to the U.S. Army, the man was told to stand on a box with his head covered. And it was in 2004, Hirsch reported on the abuse of detainees by U.S. military police at Abu Ghraib prison. The report was a public relations disaster for the U.S. government, which was still mired in fighting against an Iraqi insurgency.
4: To, to know
1: how much explosive you needed to blow the door without killing yourself or doing too much damage to the structure or killing him means that you had an awful lot of information about how strong that door was.
3: And then in 2015, Hirsch published the article, The Killing of Osama bin Laden, which outlined how the Pakistani government was aware of the raid that killed bin Laden. The only requirement was uh, the Pakistani government had not told its people that they had him. Now the award-winning journalist is releasing a memoir titled Reporter. Seymour Hirsch joins us from our Washington Bureau.
2: It's funny. Uh, Go online and just Google Seymour Hirsch and watch all of these reporters just treat this guy like an absolute celebrity. And then now watch as the mainstream reports on what he's reporting here. And you'll really notice a difference mm-hmm. who he attacks, who he holds accountable determines coverage. So when he was, when he, uh, you know, way after the fact, way after, uh, the Mylai massacre, uh, he was, he's of course praised, but during the times, He was attacked as a sympathetic sympathetic of of being a sympathetic of communists, of spreading discontent, right, of saying dangerous things that we shouldn't say. Hmm. The State Department will always say that to somebody who holds them accountable. That's their job.
0: Speaking of people that hold power accountable, do we want to talk about? What's going on with Project Veritas and James O'Keefe? Or is there more to let's, unpack? Let's stay
2: here? here actually, just for a little bit longer. Um, I want to I want to make a point too. This 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 very much uh, you know both of what it means about our relationship with Ukraine and and that whole story. But uh, note the parallels with the WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange, mm. who is currently being held extrajudicially. <laughs> I don't even know how to describe his actual uh, legal status at the moment but effectively he's been in isolation and or house arrest for four years now. Um, beyond, pretty much because yeah, he's longer than that now. Yeah. He told on the Democrat party and, you know, and, and, and if people don't know what WikiLeaks is, um, WikiLeaks is a very important website, uh, during the Bush administration released what was called, uh, operation kill. No, what was it called? I'm forgetting it right now, but, uh, they released a doc, a video of the U S military killing a reporter on, you know, television on, it's, it's the video of known noncombatants being killed by the U S military. Uh, and it was covered up and released by, um, Chelsea Manning. Uh, so Chelsea leaked it to WikiLeaks, WikiLeaks leaked it out. Julian Assange was holding the government accountable to what its claims were about its actual use of operations in Iraq. And obviously, this was a case in which they were not, you know, doing what they said they were doing. Um, since then, that's what made the right wing hate him, right? Because he was embarrassing the Bush administration. Later on, he released the, 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 uh, the Hillary Clinton mm-hmm. emails, which exposed that Hillary Clinton was getting favorable treatment by the media uh, I mean, very, very favorable treatment. Like, for example, hey, we're going to do an interview. Here's all the questions I'm going to ask you. Hey, you're doing a debate. Here's all the questions I'm going to ask you. Hey, would you not like to have someone on the debate stage? Those sorts of things, kind of collaboration with the Hillary Clinton campaign. And of course, once again, uh, now, now the, le- the right wing likes them and the left wing hates them, right? Truth will put you at odds with groups. That's the reality. If you're pursuing it, if you're being honest and interacting with the world as you see it, it will make you a pariah. Uh, and, and Julian Assange is probably paying the worst possible cost you could for that, uh, uh, for, for the honest pursuit of holding the powerful accountable. Uh, and what drives me crazy is you have these media people who say that's their job, and while they persecute people like Julian Assange, like Seymour Hersh, uh, who are actually doing that job. Well, it reminds me of,
0: in a slightly less significant fashion, the fact that you referred to yourself before we started recording as the devil of Montana politics, because <laughs> you're not really fully aligned with either side. And, right. you know, so therefore, you, you know, if you're not fully in the camp, you're out of the camp. Right.
2: Well, and, that, and that's actually me describing how it feels to be in my position sometimes is that uh, there's a group of people who will just never like me because of what I think uh, of me interacting honestly with the truth as I see it. Uh, and, and sometimes, honestly, I I can get over my skis and say something I shouldn't say, or, or, or I I got my facts wrong or whatever. But, um, the, the, the careful articulation of truth is the most important thing you can do period in your life. And, and I wish more people were willing to, to, to be brave and step up and say those things and be honest about it.
1: Well, it's, it's worth kind of mentioning that on the media front too, because something that I'm very optimistic on, I'm kind of taking the white pill on in, in a sense is, how how many more? How many of these like independent media people are starting to come up? And like, I might disagree with them on certain facts or whatever. But there's like a lot of these people that are coming up where I can tell that they're not lying to me. Like they're telling me what they actually believe. Well, when you're looking at like the corporate press, everything is just media spin. Everything's just narrative. Like there's just deep, deep narrative propaganda that's coming in. But then you have all these like new people in the podcasting world that are coming up and. It's so refreshing to see that I'm just, people are just giving me what they believe. Like I I can see their logic thread of like uh, their, their train of thought on something and they're, they're telling me something and it's like, they're trying to be honest, but at least I know they're not lying. Right. Like Mm -hmm. they might have the facts wrong, but I I know that they're not lying. They're telling me exactly how they're seeing the world. That's something that I love about this new podcasting space that's come up over the last decade.
2: At least, you know, they're, they're not trying to manipulate you. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. A
1: lot of them are like, you got your grifters and you got sure, all that true, stuff. Right. True. But like, there are these people right. that are coming up that uh, like I can trust their opinions in a sense.
0: Right. Well, speaking of people that uh, definitely speak truth to power, as it were, um, James O'Keefe is under threat of being removed from his own company by what some are calling a bit of a coup from within project Veritas. And if you don't know James O'Keefe or project Veritas, they put out these expose videos where their reporters will wear a hidden camera and a microphone to what are oftentimes just like dinner dates and things like that. And they'll, you know, be interacting with someone like the latest one was, you know, a higher level employee of Pfizer admitting that Pfizer is doing effectively gain of function research in the United States inside of the company on purpose in order to create, you know, new drugs to battle, later versions or new, new mutations of, at least of he COVID. made those claims. Right? At least, yeah, at least <laughs> yes. this guy who they were interviewing made as those he was claims. trying to impress his, his, date. Right. Yes. Yeah. He was, he, t- he, you know, obviously turned immediately as he saw James O'Keefe walk in. He's like, I was lying. I was, it was kind of actually wild search. video, yeah. wild video. But, but I mean this guy, James O'Keefe, like speaking of being brave, right? Like he puts himself into some of the hairiest scenarios, like going toe to toe with, you know, out the alphabet boys and, and everyone who would probably be the most well equipped to put him in a dark box somewhere like, like Julian Assange. Mm. And so I, I don't know, it seems interesting that this is occurring because he really is one of the, like one of the last true, like real investigative journalists that I feel like we have right
1: now. It, it's been wild watching the trajectory of James O'Keefe over the years. Cause I, I've been following James since I don't know, 2014 maybe. And like, for so long, it was very much this, uh, like, even you'd hear him talk about in, like, books and stuff like that where he's just like, yeah, he's just kind of this, like, You know this guy that's just out here doing this, you know, thing, and everything that he's doing is spewing lies and stuff like that. And he was very easily discredited by most people, but it seems like over the years that that discrediting of him has slowly started to fade away. Where you even have people like, like I remember watching the trajectory of Joe Rogan talking about him on his podcast. Like every now and then he'd be like, "Yeah, this video from James O'Keefe or whatever," and and like I don't really know if I can believe it or not. And even over the years, I've seen him. Being much more, uh, yeah, he's doing a lot of good work. <laughs> you know, like, mm-hmm. like I've been starting to see that, and now we're getting to this point where he, James O'Keefe is just kind of like a household name in a lot of ways. And then this coup happens. It's just interesting to me,
2: right? And I, I, I they, supposedly, some of the coverage has said that this has to do with the Biden diary, which is an interesting thing that happened kind of on the right. on the. It never really rose to the surface of the mainstream, but it kind of existed all the way through uh, um, twenty twenty. Um, was a diary got leaked to Project Veritas. It was they, Biden's daughter's diary. Right, right. right. Uh, that that diary got, you know, probably stolen illegally. Uh, and then Project Veritas bought it. Interestingly, when you re, when the stories that I read, and as I was kind of looking into this, because I've been following uh, James O'Keefe for a long time, um, in part because he's my age. Uh, we're the same age. And so I, for a long time, have watched his career from a distance uh, all the way back from the very first Acorn video mm-hmm. and the right, stuff he was yeah. doing back then, the, the I, it looks like to me, when you, when you read everything that we know so far about the internal operations of Project Veritas and how they handled the diary, that James O'Keefe was the best actor in the whole situation. He was the one who said, we're not going to actually go with this. And then it got leaked out from Project He gave Berry it cards. back to the FBI, right? Uh, or, something like that. Yeah. And,
1: and so the, but then they started investigating him like a year later. They, right. they started launching an investigation on him.
2: Right. So it's it's an interesting question of what's going on. Did they actually catch them out over skis? Or was he a good actor that he's going to take the fall? Uh, it's, it's hard to say, but it, it is an interesting one. And I, and I think an interesting contrast to Seymour, who, whether it was Abu Ghraib, Or the My Lai Massacre or any of these other situations that he turned out to be right, used anonymous sources uh, that everyone said, you're using anonymous sources, we can't believe you. Whenever MSNBC used an anonymous source, someone in the State Department said, everyone says, oh yeah, of course, well, MSNBC wouldn't lie to me. But when Seymour Hersh does it, because he doesn't have some major brand behind him like the New York Times, everyone goes like, well, I don't know, anonymous sources... James O'Keefe puts people on video saying for themselves what they think. And we're still going, Oh, I don't know about that. It seems deceptively edited. Uh, at least in the case of acorn and several other cases. he actually puts out the entire interviews, the entire, like four hour long, like sit down date thing. I don't know if he did that in the Pfizer example. I'm not sure he did, but
0: I think that it's unfair to ask a journalist to put out the unedited clips when it's like, these are fairly complete statements. These people are making like, these are seven, eight, nine minute videos where they're, really telling you what they think and he, he brings this up when journalists ask well will you release your unedited videos like well he asked them right back will you release your unedited footage w- would i ever ask you to give me your reporter's notebook like there's just certain things that are just like kind of mm. you know they seem like a little bit of straw man arguments to try to discredit him in the in the face of the fact that he is releasing this stuff that is fairly irrefutable because it's coming out of this person's mouth
1: mm. you know well and so The reason why he's taking this paid leave now is because, right, there was a bunch of anonymous employees that kind of allegedly came together saying that he's a tyrant and he's uh, like forcing all these demands on everybody. Like this is this is one of those things, too, where I'm like, how much can I actually trust these anonymous employees? Like one of them was said that. It's like he stole a sandwich from a woman or something. Yeah, like. from, a, from an eighth-month-old
0: pregnant <laughs> yeah. woman. Yeah, yeah, because he was hungry and and yeah. I mean, basically, this is a, a from what I understand, a letter signed by more or less sixteen employees who essentially said he was he was a hard boss to work for, like in you know different terms. Most of which, or at least a significant portion of which, are reported to never have actually witnessed any of the you know misdeeds yeah. that were written in this letter so to me it seems like pretty shaky to begin with
1: you know makes me you know and this this would be the conspiratorial end makes me wonder if there's like some sort of double agent that got into project veritas and is starting doing this like trying to sew dissent around and it's just like yeah i heard this rumor that james did this to x employee and stuff like i, I wonder how much of that is happening and like I, I also i don't know i don't understand like i don't personally know how their donor network works like like who's funding things? Is there somebody that came in and just started giving a bunch of money? I, I don't know the details of all this stuff, right? Like they, there's almost like a little like corporate espionage that might be happening.
0: Right. it would be very ironic for that to happen to Project Veritas. <laughs> 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 They're going to have to run a hidden camera operation inside <laughs> of Project Veritas to <laughs> yeah. suss it out. Uh, I mean, this this article here um, from Zero Hedge says that uh, furious Project Veritas donors threaten the board of directors, over-reported O'Keefe ouster. So it sounds like there is even within the company some pushback against this and maybe they're seeing it for what it is in any case james o'keefe is project veritas he is the brand like if they kick him out i think it seems safe to say that at least some if not the majority of the donors will go with him so i guess we'll have to see what happens he starts a new outlet
1: right exactly exactly But there's going to be all this stuff that hangs over his head is like the narrative control over him is like, these are reasons to discredit him. Um, Like so often it is like you you have the headlines, James O'Keefe who was ousted from his previous, you know? Yeah. But
0: I'm not sure that's really going to be incredibly impactful for him because the mainstream media already hates him and has already discredited him in every way that they possibly can. This is just one more thing on their list. The people that believe in the work that he's doing, the people that think that it's, good journalism and who who you know want to see it continue are going to probably continue to how you him. feel about him going forward is going to be which hive mind you've decided to join
1: with right exactly
2: mm-hmm. and that's how politics breaks our brain right whether that's Julius Assange or or James O'Keefe or whatever you're, you people pick these sides and then they narrowly follow it because it's easier to it's just mental laziness
0: Speaking of mental laziness, do you guys want to react to the State of the Union address? <laughs>
2: oh, please. Are we going to watch the video? Is there, there a like a... Noise. I don't is think there we need to. Oh, man. Well, I, I didn't watch it, so... I don't mean, I watch the whole thing. Just the <laughs> clip, though. Fair. Just the clip, though, because it is so hilarious watching What's-Her-Face freak out.
3: All right, well, let's continue this conversation with our ABC News political contributors. That's former Democratic Senator of North Dakota, Heidi Heitkamp, also former Trump administration official, Sarah Isker. All right, Heidi, let's uh, start with you. Your reaction to Biden's speech, does he have what it takes to just continue on from now to 2024? Boy, he sure showed that he has what it takes yesterday. I mean, for him to stand and just give a speech, everybody's listening, is he slipping? Is he saying the right words? When he could have that dialogue back and forth with the opposition party and they were, angry and he was smiling and having fun. I think it was bad optics for them, uh, good optics for him. And I think he's uh, riding a high today. Want to mention this about Mitt Romney though. He is an elder statesman of the Republican party. And he sees a lack of leadership right now within the house Republicans in dealing with the George Santos thing. He saw George Santos, he probably reacted emotionally, but that was structured so that a senior member of the Republican party was saying, you don't get to claim any allegiance to our party and to us. You are not somebody who should be here. Actually,
4: I totally agree with Senator Heitkamp that uh, the the fascinating thing that Joe Biden was able to accomplish is to establish that he could give as good as he got uh, and did it with humor and quickness that I think he really needed to show last night, and he did. But also, it really highlighted this debate in the Republican Party over Social Security as just sort of this example, this metaphor almost. Obviously, Senator Rick Scott of Florida who was running the Senate campaigns for the Republicans is the one who floated the idea of sunsetting pieces of legislation, which obviously would have to include Social Security and Medicare. He was shut down by Mitch McConnell and a lot of other people in the party, and that's what Joe Biden used. So it was kind of a vindication of the Mitch McConnell wing, and when you saw Kevin McCarthy and all those Republicans stand, uh, you know, it, A, takes cutting Social Security off the table, but B, there's not a lot of ways to balance the budget without talking about Social Security and Medicare, which are the two biggest ticket items in our spending.
3: And that is going to be a tough problem for both parties. And they're going to have to work together at some point on getting the debt under control. But uh, points scored for Joe Biden, I think, last night. That was a neat little bit of of uh, oratory. They're getting everybody in the in the in the Congress to stand up and agree with them. Uh, Sarah, Heidi. Thanks very much.
0: My God.
1: So so my my takeaway of that is the narrative control.
3: I told you we should
1: watch it, right? <laughs> the, the, the narrative control is so fascinating because. Basically, what they said before they got into like the social security conversation, there. But the first like two minutes of that video was, is uh, them basically saying the the incredibly impressive thing is that he got up there, stood up, and gave a speech.
0: I know, right? <laughs> that's like, that's how that. low is this
1: bar right now? <laughs> that is so great. Oh, I love it.
2: And he I also love said it. it's it, so incredible. He also named a new fish uh, of Hawaii. Oh, did he? Yeah, no, yeah, he said, uh, yeah, we're really worried about. <laughs> <laughs> oh
1: man, that's the. The the level of narrative control and the running cover from the media right here is, oh, it's so juicy. It's so beautiful to watch.
2: I love watching seeing what the normies are doing, you know, like the normal people, like the people who watch cable news might be getting an impression that that's uh, that was what happened because what happened was the president accused Republicans of wanting to reform Social Security and the Republicans all booed, a bunch of them booed and then in the meantime everyone was like, but don't you want to? And then like, and then the president's like, well, I'm glad to have you on my side. And then, and then it was like more booing and jeering and all this other stuff. And it, it, it's, it's doubling down on the problem in DC. All of this is right. Which is nobody wants to deal with the fact that our, our entitlement programs are broken. Nobody wants to deal with the national debt. Everyone wants to play a pretend game where Democrats are good guys because they want to keep it going. Republicans are bad guys because they want to reform it while Republicans deny that they want to reform it while actually trying to reform it simultaneously. A broken system, and and to, and to call Mitt Romney a statesman uh, is just is so crazy in this circumstance. Just because he's the one who's who's been in office for all this time, encouraging this dynamic, uh, and not necessarily encouraging the divisiveness. I don't know. He seems like a he doesn't seem like that divisive of a character, but definitely encouraging a situation where we cannot reform our programs because of politicians like him who refuse to say the truth to the American people, which is we are bankrupt in that for if you're a, if you're a gen x or younger for every dollar you put into social security you will probably get about 80 cents back that's the reality for us beautiful. not a dollar back beautiful retirement program. not a dollar Love 10 it. 80 cents so if it, it'll it might be worse i mean especially as you get younger i mean zoomers i don't even know the figures when i the work, numbers i'm working on are probably 8 years old so who knows where they're at i'm not banking on a dime that, yeah. that, that's just me though i don't know I mean,
0: I, I thought it was interesting, though, that they mentioned, you know, that you can't talk about balancing the budget without talking about uh, these entitlement programs. What about foreign policy? What about all the money we're sending to Ukraine? What about, you know, this imperialist foreign policy that's that's just gobbling up untold hundreds of billions, if not trillions of dollars. Right. Like can we talk about that part. That seems pretty important. Yeah.
1: The the big thing about these entitlement programs, though, too, is it's just something that is never going to, because there's no, there's not, never going to be a political will to actually handle it. But it's just going to keep racking up more and more interest on the debt as well. Like eventually, we're not even going to be able to pay towards the interest on the debt. Um, And like, yeah cutting out all the reckless foreign entanglement spending is also another big deal. Cause like, what is, you would know Dave better. The the general budget of, <laughs> of the American government right now. What what are the, the biggest ones are pull up
2: a step clock. Network. Yeah.
1: Like it's, it's, it's all of our uh, military expenditures and then it's, Social Security, Medicaid, Medicare. Like, those are the four big buckets, right?
2: Correct. I mean, one of the important things here is the difference between discretionary budget and non-discretionary. Uh, and then, additionally, the real big difference there, Joe, is liability. It's liability that makes the entitlement program such a huge problem because it's future promises. Now, with the military, as soon as you cut the military, you cut the military. You're If, if, you, if you say, we're going to go from 700 bases all over the world to... 300 bases all over the world you've cut something right now you can say that our our military entanglements all over the world are a future liability problem and all that kind of stuff it gets
0: complicated but right but what you're referring to is like the future debt incurred the interest incurred on this
2: ongoing spending this unfunded right and the, and the real number to look at is not just the national debt which is which is really important i mean, it's 31 trillion dollars uh but it's the total liabilities do you see where that's at on there
1: is riveting watching us. Watching <laughs> look at these numbers, numbers. go.
2: <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So, if you look at Medicare and Medicaid, that second largest budget items, Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, and defense. Oh, yeah. U.S. funded liabilities $181 trillion.
1: Liability per, per citizen 542000 I got that. We can cover it.
2: I got do you, that. Do you want to? Yeah. So the uh, what you so what what you said, Kyle, defense at seven hundred billion. Social Security, li- uh, you know, largest budget items of one point two trillion. Medicare, Medicaid, one point five trillion. It's staggering, right? So the uh, unfunded, of course, the unfunded liability is what we're saying there. What that means is the promises that the, what unfunded liability means is the promises that the U.S. government has made to pay people back for the money that they're giving them. This is in bonds and this is in social security uh, obligations. We have the baby boomer generation entering retirement soon. And that's one of the largest groups of people. Uh, that problem is, is a very substantial issue uh, that of course has the effects that we're talking about, but also the effects of how do you continue to pay interest on the debt? What's the interest on the debt payment? This is how much the federal government pays. It's like thinking about it, like you have a credit card, right? You've racked up uh, $31,000 in debt. This is how much you pay annually.
0: I can't find a single number you're asking there's, for in here. because There's too many like, numbers. <laughs> there's too <laughs> many numbers in here. There's 1 point, uh, 181
2: trillion numbers on the uh, screen oh, right yeah. now. <laughs> <laughs> this this, this is insane. Uh, we, we just need to have like a, like a once a quarter, just like let's check in with the U.S. debt clock and just look at these numbers for a minute and remind everybody. Well, it's, 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 it's one of those things happening. where, because like,
1: like after the Tea Party era kind of fizzled out, and you know everyone one kind of moved on from that, it seemed like nobody cared about the debt anymore. And I think a lot of that had to do with four years of that there was a Republican president. Because the only ones that ever care about the debt seem to be Republicans when they have opposition presidency, um, which says something maybe about the game theory of, of it all. The only time that anybody actually cares about the debt is when there's a Democrat in office because the Democrats aren't going to care about the debt because they don't care really that much about uh, how much they spend. But the Republicans supposedly care about the debt, but they only care if they can use it as a bludgeoning tool against their opponent. Like That's when this big red number means anything anymore. But.
2: As far as the discourse, uh, what it means for the ever per, everyday person is that this is a liability on you incurred or claimed by the federal government on your behalf so uh, did, did, uh is anyone old enough to remember the greek currency crisis yeah mm-hmm. like that 20, happened 2012 or so yeah that happened because the ratio and the proportion between gdp and their debt obligations was so great the bond investors said i'm not buying those bonds anymore
1: well and that was the first time anyone went into negative interest rates wasn't it I don't know about that because that was, that was when the concept of negative interest rates, I remember kind of entered my purview. And at the time I was like 18, 17 when that happened I was like, that seems weird. Like, I don't know much about finance at that point in time, but that seems like that shouldn't be possible. (laughs) It literally means what negative interest rates means. You have to pay the bank for storing your money.
3: (laughs) Basically (laughs) like that's
1: what it means. Um, And then I remembered during the Trump era um, after Trump became president, like, He was talking about the Fed is basically screwing my presidency because we won't go into negative interest rates. Mm -hmm. And so like that type of stuff was starting to float around in the Republican ethos at um, around 2016, 2017. But yeah, this is an unmanageable crisis. Let me put it one
2: one more way for you. So our total unfunded liabilities and the total amount of debt, think about that, that's your home, that's everything you got, is worth is $181 trillion. We now have our total national assets that we have as a country is 180 trillion. We have more unfunded liabilities than we do, like actual assets at this juncture. We are going into bankruptcy if we don't do something about it, about the major budget ticket items, which we and the great thing about being not part of the the matrix system. The uniparty. Not to go all Andrew Tate about it or you the uniparty is that it's okay to say, hey, I'm both in favor of of cutting uh, our war budget as well as social security as well as medicaid reforming the policies that those things drive it's not a, not enough just to cut the budget you have to reform the policies that drive these things there's
1: just no political will to do it like if touching medicare medicaid social security you gotta go you're touching social security is like you're gonna have to start having a lot of angry boomers after you right um i i, I don't i don't see I don't see the route forward for cutting these programs in any meaningful way. Like, yeah, there's just no political will that's going to...
2: It's either there's happen. an opt-out program with a very long death curve to mm-hmm. it, right? So like, for example, um, you cut off the very high income cap. You say like, hey, if you make over another a certain amount, you don't get social security more and you got to still pay into it, but you don't get it anymore. But then at a certain juncture, you can opt into a new system. And then two, uh, the more moral one, uh, even than that maybe is just saying we're going to take the hit on everybody above a certain age. So yeah. if you're under 30, you now you now can opt out of the system and you can go put your money into a 401k and you don't have to. You can opt in if you want to, but you can opt Something out Something that to. actually
1: brings you a return on your dollar. <laughs> yeah, right.
2: Uh, that would be more moral. And that wouldn't even apply to me. I'm actually advocating when I say under 30, someone wouldn't be me. But I, I, I think it is completely immoral when I look at my son to say, you're going to put tens of thousands of dollars onto debt on him from the moment he's entering the workforce. It's absolutely ridiculous. Well, it's, it's
1: also unfortunate is most people don't realize what's being taken out of their paycheck. Like most people are just saying like, Oh, I got this money every two weeks from my paycheck from my boss. And, and they're not understanding that like, okay, yeah, here's your FICA tax that gets taken out. Like the, the, the level of taxation literacy that is absent from the average American is unfortunate. Cause then, then you
0: end up having these people voting for these policies that are actually just screwing them over in the long run. Yeah. Speaking of taxation illiteracy, I mean, the fact that people think they're getting a tax return is like yeah. a savings account with the government. It's completely backwards. You're actually giving the government a tax-free loan, you know, or an interest interest-free loan rather yeah. on your money. You're letting them use it for whatever the hell they want, obviously, and then give you most of it back or some of it back. Right. It's like, yeah, they're like, come like, on. We're, we're sorry. We took a little, a little extra from you. You can have it back. Exactly. <laughs> <It's> like, so <laughs> it really like you want to not have any withholding. Like it'd be better for you to pay a little bit of tax at the end of the year than to get money back.
2: And we're not giving financial advice, but definitely do not do not depend on social security for your retirement. Yes. Buy Buy something else. Probably buy some golden crypto. Yeah. (laughs) But we're not giving financial advice. Pudgy
1: penguins are looking juicy guys. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. Well, and that's the thing is like most people don't really understand what social security is. Social security all it is is a government mandated retirement fund like that's that per, that performs poorly. <laughs> like, like that's that's all it is like you could you could have another retirement fund, uh, you know, to to help satiate you something that actually performs well. But,
2: you know, it is what it is. Well, it's an important way to think about the structure of it is a pyramid scheme functionally. It is right. It, it functions as it, it, it anticipates that everyone's going to die at sixty five.
1: And life expectancy has gone up. Right,
2: <laughs> that and that continues to go up. up right. we, we don't want to well,
1: change. life expectancy just went down. I think this oh, year, that's right? True. A yeah. little for for certain demographics. Yeah, I
2: don't yeah, think, I think just general overall.
1: American really went wow. down like one year or something. Wow, I can't remember. Fact check me, Jamie. Where are you? At?
2: <laughs> <laughs> but I, I do think like that that problem of we've had, we haven't, we can't change the program because it takes an act of Congress to change a program. But if you have a four hundred one k What changes the program are market conditions where people say, oh, wait, I'm losing money. I need to go change this thing. So that's the difference between a defined benefit uh, program of retirement, which is uh, how Social Security works, and defined contribution. Defined contribution works, I put money in, there's a return, I get the risk return on the market that I put into it. While in a defined benefit, the government says, I guarantee you this return. And that's why the liabilities are so high. It's, and you said it, it, it functionally, that's what that's how it's supposed to be, but, but it's not works. So it works much closer to a giant government pension program. You're going through that very, very fast. Oh, and there's sorry. a
0: lot in there. I'm not sure that's going to translate.
2: Can you break okay. that down and maybe <laughs> yeah. slow down just a oh, little bit sorry. for those
0: of us that don't have an IQ of whatever the heck I, the maximum IQ is. No, I'm definitely
2: <laughs> not on That's for sure. He is nearly perfect. Um, so the, the difference is, is you put into a 401k, there are incentives for the 401k manager to manage that. To maximize your return and their return, because they get paid on your returns. Sure. While well, when you put into a government program, they guarantee you benefits and you have the security of those benefits. The US taxpayer backs up that benefit. But The problem with that is that there is no incentive for a good return on that investment, right? So The uh, government is not incentivized to give you a good return on what you contribute to Social Security or anything else. In order to change the program, you need a literal act of Congress, right? And so that's why it still assumes that the average, the length of time that someone's going to live is the length of time that it was passed in the 1960s, or sorry, 70s. So the reason why the program can't evolve and fit to the new market conditions or technology when it comes to length of time that people die and retire is because it takes a literal act of Congress. That's why, I mean, there are lots of systems that are far better than this. Lots of countries around the world have far better uh, government mandated retirement systems, but those government mandated retirement systems push you into a private market with defined contribution. Your return is defined by how much you put in that incentivizes you to put in if, if the if the uh, if it's defined benefit where we say this is how much the government guarantees it actually incentivizes you to put in the minimal amount and to never actually save for your retirement and then you expect a larger return. Mm-hmm. so we're disincentivizing uh well real
0: good investment and saving right. for retirement right because we have
1: it's it's, it's all misallocated right, right. right. And it's all malinvestment
2: mm-hmm.
1: so And it's just a big shell game too. Like it's just like this money goes to the people that are retiring now, and then you just keep rotating it around. Right, Ponzi scheme. Yeah, just like crypto. (laughs) I triggered Kyle (laughs) (laughs) now. Just Um, just like the people that use it improperly by holding it in places like FTX. Uh, we should not even go
2: Get down the the road. hardware wallets, kids. <laughs> yeah. Hardware wallets if you're, if you're... L- ledger.com. Yeah, yeah oh yeah. god, I'm gonna bleep that out <laughs> until they pay us to be a sponsor of This show, no, everyone should have a ledger. I don't care. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's just that's, that's just solid like security advice. Also, probably you should own a handgun and you probably ought to lock your doors at night, tie your shoes. Yeah. That's on the same level as do not store your crypto on a on a on a on a trading exchange, yeah, yeah. Or,
1: or, or even just a hot yeah. wallet.
2: Yeah, anyways.
0: Well, we've got a few things left on the agenda. How about, do we, do we want to talk about libertarian drama, the balloon that just passed by our great state of Montana or crypto? I don't want to talk about crypto. I,
1: I, I'm glad the uh, Chinese, uh, I'm glad the Chinese decided to pay us a visit with their, with their
0: little balloon. <laughs> the memes around the balloon were absolutely top notch though. I mean, really.
1: I didn't really, to be honest, I didn't really pay a whole lot of attention to the story. Uh, But I just,
0: I paid more attention to the memes that I was seeing on Twitter with it. Um, We come at it at an interesting time because it's like, it happened like just about a week ago. And so by the time this episode comes out, it's going to be out of the news cycle. I mean, it's already been shut down, obviously. But I find it really interesting. Like there's so many, there were so many evolving takes throughout the whole process of it. I mean, to start, it was like oh my God, what is this thing, right? To, we should shoot it down immediately to, well, we shouldn't shoot it down immediately because what if, you know, there's, there are explosives on board or what if there are other- Shrapnel
1: know, falling down we, on civilians. Yeah, we so have- Like all that stuff, right? These
0: concerns, but meanwhile, like it's just floating over the US, just, you know, they say it's a weather balloon, right? China says it's a weather balloon. Then it comes out, there's antennas on it. So like, it seems logical that if, if you were to put a balloon in the air and fly it over a geopolitical adversary, you'd probably be- streaming data back from that balloon. Right. So, but you do the just didn't
2: think it was a science balloon too. Well, yeah. But so what's the difference between a science balloon and a surveillance balloon? Uh, Americans freak out about both of them. That's, that's I, the, there is no difference. I, I, <laughs> exactly. I feel like I
1: vaguely remember like a year or two ago, another balloon that crossed over into america like am i misremembering something like i, I there's, there's this level of like i feel like people have kind of a collective amnesia but i i feel, i vaguely remember there being like a russian or a chinese balloon that happened like two years ago is that, is that a mandela effect thing where maybe well, so there were
0: there were part of this news cycle yeah. was the reports coming out of the biden administration when people were like why didn't you tell us about this when it was like over the pacific ocean or over alaska or wherever Um, they, they said, oh, well, you know, uh, this happened under Trump three times, right? Uh, That that might be one of the things
1: I'm remembering. An anonymous (laughs)
0: source from within, you know, the the defense department or wherever, you know, said this happened during the Trump administration three times, but don't ask us how we found that out because that part's secret. Well, and it was, it was a commercial airline that found this one. right? And then meanwhile, no, this was just a guy in Billings. Oh, he looked out his window a... and he's like, well, heck's that <laughs> 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 started taking a cell phone video and then it blew up. Uh, I mean, not to say the government didn't know about it before this guy yeah. in Billings did, but that's how I think most of us found out about it. But meanwhile, you know, these like Trump administration officials being confronted with this, this news that three Chinese balloons had flown over us airspace under their administration were like, uh, we didn't know about any of this. Like, nope. Mm-hmm. no, they didn't. Right. So I think it's just a big game of He said, he said, and just trying to make Biden look less bad by saying, Oh, what happened under Trump too? And I mean, I don't know. My my thing is like, who cares? First of all, like, okay, maybe so maybe they could have captured some surveillance imagery of, you know, the, the nuclear fields that, No, you know, that, okay. no, that, that right. this hang is out what through, takes me off about this. They, no, no, let me, let me the, finish my the, point you here. Know, Don't
1: sorry. they have <laughs> satellite imagery already <laughs> of like <laughs> Do they have Google maps? Exactly. <laughs> okay.
0: Who cares? First of all, because what can they get from a balloon that they can't get from space? Yeah. Right. What, and, and secondly, like, okay, my big question is what aren't we hearing about while we're hearing about this balloon fiasco? What
2: really upsets me about the whole thing is the, is that theory that it had something to do with, um, with surveilling Maelstrom Air Force Base. The distance from Billings to Great Falls is a very long ways, guys. Well, mm-hmm. it didn't start over Billings. I know, but, but, but we don't have any Billings. evidence that it was ever in Great Falls or near Great Falls or anything like that. If it, if that it came true. down the Canadian line, that's hundreds of miles. You know, so like the distance straight up Above Great Falls, down to Gray Falls is far closer, and you're you're you know still in orbit. Maybe the Chinese miscalculated it is from Billings <laughs> to Great Falls. It doesn't make. I'm just saying on its face that that story when it came out. You know, oh, you know they got nukes in Montana. Like was obviously said by a bunch of people who know nothing about the geography of Montana. I have no idea how the size of our state, much less like. You know where in Montana they are. They don't know that Malmstrom is, it's not even at Malmstrom Air Force Base. The, the actual silos are They watched there. Yellowstone. So, yeah, they, you know, know. <laughs> exactly. they know exactly. everything about Montana. The commentariat <laughs> completely, <laughs> just completely went. And then on top of that, suspected spy balloon very quickly became spy balloon. And that is a really important moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It tells you about our, our psychology, our deeply insecure psychology as a people, where we believe you know, the Chinese say, hey, this is just a weather balloon. Went over and, and we all go like, no, it wasn't. It has to be a spy balloon because you want You want the nukes. You don't want to know. And I'm just and well, I'm just and like, well, China It's the boogeyman, too. Right. right? And, and you, I'm just like, like well, maybe it was a science. Well, isn't anyone willing to consider that? I mean, I mean, I don't know. I I am as skeptical of I'm skeptical of all governments by by the nature of them. They are all aggressors necessarily. They're all by their very nature immoral. Now there might be good things you can do with it, but they are immoral just to start out how they get their money is not right. So therefore I'm just a skeptical. I'm skeptical of China. I'm skeptical of the U S state department. When the U S state department says it's a suspected air balloon while NORAD says it's completely harmless while the, everyone else says we've got to shoot it down while everyone else says it might be carrying news and all this other stuff. I'm like, I don't trust y'all. And then when China says it's a, it's a, it's a science experiment. I'm like, well, maybe it is.
1: Maybe or maybe it's not. Like, you don't trust not. them either. Yeah, right, right.
2: I mean, it's like, why, why? But I definitely I definitely think the lesson is that we are in a constant state of panic, a constant state of paranoia. And, we, and, and and in fact, you know, this podcast probably isn't helping with that. If we're talking, to be completely honest, we're telling people, hey, the U.S. State Department is doing some very sketchy stuff and bringing us to the brink of World War III. Hey, the... the And we actually haven't talked about this. The uh, The FBI and their work with the BLM activists. Have we got to that yet? We have not. Yeah, so like the... <laughs> The the situation obviously has good reasons for people to feel paranoid and to feel insecure. The government could do a lot for that by not freaking out. <laughs> uh by the media could do a lot by that by not freaking out, by maintaining suspected the whole time, not just shortening to spy blimp or whatever balloon. Um and then and then lastly, and the and the federal government could change that by reducing its its impact in people's lives when it comes to these threats that we're talking about on this podcast. Let's dive into that FBI. Uh, case because that was fascinating. I had no idea this happened and I don't
0: know where you found this, but really interesting story where the FBI pays this felon $20,000 to infiltrate the Black Lives Matter movement in the early days, like 2020, right when it was kind of kicking off in Denver. This guy drove around, became a part of these demonstrations, trained some of these members with weapons. What, what exactly happened here?
2: Yeah. So the FBI... Uh, took this guy who had uh, claimed to be part of a foreign military, uh, specifically the in um, Kurdistan, uh, to and he had all these connections with other Peshmerga. That's right, uh, the French Foreign Legion and other sorts of things that this guy claimed. And he definitely seems like a scam artist of some kind. But uh, and his his own personal story gets very deep, and obviously we'll link uh, to the story, which is definitely worth a read because it is fascinating. Uh, his What they did is they paid him to infiltrate BLM and then to report on those people. Additionally to that, he was very instrumental in actually undermining BLM in Denver by spreading accusations that other people were paid informants. And, you know, what's interesting about this is how it relates to the so-called new church committee uh, head by Ohio Republican Jim Jordan. Uh, that, so when Kevin McCarthy came in, one of the compromises, uh, that he made with the freedom caucus was to establish a commission to review the abuse of the government, uh, on political adversaries. Uh, in another podcast, we talked about a couple different of different, these examples when we went over the church commission, uh, but the, in this case, what, what was interesting and they're most interested in how this has been used against the right. Um, this is a good case and, and with that, with that church committee commission, uh, head by Jim Jordan. No Democrat voted for that. Not a single one, right? Because they, they created that commission. They had created just on a on a uh, partisan vote. And it's there's good reasons to believe that Jim Jordan might not use it in a bipartisan way. So I understand if Democrats are just skeptical of that. But that said, they have legitimate concerns here uh, because the FBI, after the Patriot Act, regained a lot of powers that it didn't have before. Uh, from before Watergate, from the 1960s to Watergate, uh, and then until the Patriot Act and now on forward, they don't really need much evidence in order to infiltrate a group in order to try to discover bad people. Right. Additionally to that, they don't need to, they can go as far as to give you the plan, motivate you to do uh, something illegal, give you the weapons and or ammunition uh, or bond making materials or whatever. And then, you know, basically set you up all the way through the entire thing. Uh, All you have to do is just be someone who listens and doesn't say no in order for them to say he's guilty of, of perpetrating this Mm -hmm. terrorist act, even though they gave you everything to do it except for, pulling the trigger right and, that, and that's the federal bureau of investigations doing that now the other side of that uh, and this will definitely get us demonetized so check us out and subscribe and uh, download the podcast and share it with your friends because uh, no, no one's gonna the this is gonna be deprioritized just go ahead and join us on rumble in advance because <laughs> youtube is not gonna have it it's a matter of time uh but the the deprioritization there uh yeah that's a, that's a whole other problem. what was i saying oh yeah so the fbi it it has been doing this and has been doing it since the war on terror on Muslims very specifically reason has a lot of great documentaries about how all these different stories of the FBI discovering and, and breaking terrorist plots in America actually all turned out to be bull crap. Uh, effectively, a lot of the cases were just people who had mental problems that they came and said, Hey, do you want to end America and, and, and swear allegiance to Al Qaeda? And they would be like, Oh, okay. You know, just some stupid person who was lonely and then they'd arrest that person and try to prosecute them. Uh, now I know if you're a right winger, like David, all this sounds like features, not bugs. So are you telling me that the <laughs> FBI infiltrated BLM and undermined them? Well, yeah, they rioted. They did terrible things I don't like and they believe things I don't like. Get you. I understand. Okay, fine. But they also did it in Whitmer's kidnapping case. Mm-hmm. Everyone, all but two and two have yet to actually finish their trial. So we don't know what's gonna happen to them. But out of the six, four were all acquitted on entrapment,
0: the militia members that were they were sort of um, implicated in the Whitmer um, kidnapping case.
2: Yes, all of them were acquitted. Uh, mostly on the case, the FBI just systematically could not prove it. it was them that wanted to do this thing because the FBI was actually driving the bus. Wow. Yeah. So, and that was that was it. Went to jury trial, etc. It's also you know it's interesting, right? Because there the, the racial dynamics are not insubstantial in here. When it happens to Muslim people, they probably they go to prison. <laughs> when it happens to a bunch of white dudes in, you know, Michigan and you know it goes to grand jury, they get acquitted. That's a real problem with this system. And that's a real problem with the FBI, right? They pay these informants it's crazy sums of money to go and and with the economic incentive of setting someone up for a crime they wouldn't commit in the absence of the FBI not being there. That's nuts. It's manufacturing. Uh, you know, terrorism, basically, right. to say that they did something to, to thwart it. Well, and that's and that's part of the thesis, right, is like, is the does the FBI do this in order to have cases that get public attention? And then when once the prosecution happens, like we know that there was a this this conspiracy to kidnapper and the average person has no idea that all those people weren't trapped by the FBI. Right. Right. They just think the FBI is doing a good job. They're keeping us safe. A bunch of lefties probably read that and they say, oh, well, the FBI is finally on. They're on the good side now. They're the right guys. Right, That's
1: an important point right there, because I remember once a lot of the FBI stuff started happening with Trump, with kind of the corruption and and looking into Trump stuff, uh, you started having, you know, like the Sean Hannity's, the Republican types coming in and it's like for the first time ever, it's like the 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 incredible FBI is turned against the American people, you know, like, and they start having that kind of a narrative. No, this has been the history of the FBI. Like if the more you dig into the FBI, if you look into like former FBI commissioner, uh, J Edgar Hoover, uh, like the FBI, one of the primary features of the FBI was blackmailing presidents, like all history. You can just like look into, right. Um, it's it's important to understand that the FBI has always been a weapon against the American people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it has not just been like, oh, recently they've just started doing these infiltrations into these different groups. No, this has been part of their MO. It's been what they've been doing for 100 years since they were formulated during Wilson. It was like 1916 or something like that when it was originally came out. Right, um, And the same thing with like. You've had uh, different administrations. It's not just the FBI. It's other organizations. Back during World War One, the post office was used to to spy on American citizens to see if they were having anti-war propaganda in their mail. You know, like, like all of these things, these systems have been used against the American people before. This stuff is not new. It's not something that's just part of the system because everything's all of a sudden corrupt. The system has been corrupt.
2: That's right. Uh, you did say something, and I think I think I want to correct it just be, just in case someone misreads. you. Mm-hmm. it isn't that the FBI blackmails presidents. Is that the president uses the FBI to blackmail people?
1: No. What? J. Edgar Hoover blackmailed presidents when he was the
0: FBI commissioner. We're going to have to have you bring receipts
2: yeah, for that, that one. I'm mean, well, you know, not aware of it. Just
1: look it up yeah. right there. Just Google it. <laughs> um, it was uh, JFK was blackmailed by him. Uh, prior to that, J. Edgar Hoover was like through, was the FBI commissioner through like four different presidents. Some of the history is foggy on me, but this is uh, the secret life of J. Edgar Hoover, who's also a, a notorious crossdresser. Um, that's a feature, not a That's a feature.
2: <laughs> I, I just like the idea of him being we've a eclipsed- total Uber spy, but also yeah. just loving to get weird
0: we've, we've eclipsed demonetization. We're now on all the lists, just every single, <laughs> sorry.
1: One. I, I was banned from everything at one point. So <laughs>
0: <laughs> whose idea was it to bring this dude in? Here? <laughs> I
3: this, guess this is
0: Cora, So uh, we have to be careful. You know, this, these are all user generated uh, responses here, but could be some interesting things. W- w- can you dig into this for us and then just sure. send me like a link to something that's sure. Alir- I mean,
1: I mean there, there's books written about it. Like this is not controversial history about J Edgar
0: Hoover. He no, for sure. Very, he was a very corrupt man. I, um, I believe you. Yeah. Uh, but you know, people listening well, to this, if, if we're going to be providing them with, you know, arguments and things that they can actually bring to people and, and, make some of these arguments themselves. We need to be able to provide receipts here. Well, whoever grunge.com is, they might be saying that there's a lot of false claims
1: here about
2: yeah. J. Edgar
0: Hoover. Who knows? Seems legit. Um,
2: yeah. I, I do think the trick with intelligence organizations that run secret operations is that they can use those secret operations against other actors of the government. That could be very possible.
1: Here's national Enquirer: how J Edgar Hoover blackmailed the Kennedy's. Now, there's, there's a, a bunch of, reliable source a bunch of, yeah, because all of these people are always reliable sources, who yeah. knows really yeah right, <laughs> right. right well and it's not uh, and, but,
2: and, and once again, I'm not on its face saying that's not possible, uh but we do know especially um that the especially Hoover as FBI director did do a lot of things that were revealed by the church commission that is very public information that was spying, right one of the interesting things was the the spying and blackmail were were quite bad between the church commission and Uh, With the Watergate scandal and reforms after the Watergate scandal, there were substantial controls placed that were then removed after the passage of the Patriot Act. The Patriot Act was passed in response to 9-11 by the Bush administration in order to supposedly fix our defense holes that we had that allowed 9-11 to happen. And what's happened is that combined with some features of the drug war have become, have focused these powers that are supposedly keep us safe from outside adversaries inwardly. To focus on the American people and specifically American people who have edgy ideas, uh, uh, who, who are outside the norm, who maybe, maybe you agree or disagree with, but that's on an ideological bi- basis. And once it's on an ideological basis, it is the control of thought. It is the control of people's speech and what they think and how they express themselves in peaceful ways to then use those, those intelligence apparatuses to push them into violent ways that then they can arrest them and then prosecute and then own it in the media and then justify their budgets. That is profoundly terrible. That is a very bad thing for our free society. And we should absolutely be concerned about it. And I hope that this church commission uh, or special select committee or whatever it is by Jim Jordan, will will take this on a neutral stance and actually look at systems reform, not just trying to own the libs, not just trying to reform in a ways that just helped the Republicans, but reform this fundamentally broken intelligence system uh, when it comes to the FBI. To wrap this up here and end on a, a white pill kind
0: of note, mm-hmm. what can people listening do to maybe try to correct some of these systems? Should we be writing to our members of Congress who are a part of this select
2: committee or what can we do? Yeah, that's part of it. I mean, there is, there's you, I mean, first off education, uh, most people don't know what's going on. They don't see that this is a bipartisan issue. This is not a story of left versus right. This is a story of the federal government versus us. Engaging in education with everyday people to say, hey, you, you agree? There's a simple gap here of just saying, these are the facts. Check it out. Really do some research. Uh, look at these things and, and encouraging people to engage in this space. Second, uh, you know, there, are, there are lots of actions you can take when it comes to putting pressure on Congress. Of course, writing them, I know it's very discouraging when you get that form letter back, but it does count. I've been in those offices. I've seen how those things are tallied and how people do have to, you've got to use someone's staff's time to write that thing back. And if you're writing about how you want systematic reform to intelligence agencies like the FBI and their use of surveillance and other uh, things like this to American citizens, that will make a difference. Uh, and, and and it's not a perfect system, but it's a system we got right now. So please get involved, do something about it. And 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 this is another area of entrepreneurship too. We talk about it on this podcast because it's not talked about. Uh, we focus on it because it's the most important thing happened in America today. If you're talking about free speech, but you're not talking about the FBI, you failed, right? If you're saying, oh, free speech is just the Twitter policies, you've, you've really screwed up. You've lost you are plot. so far, far short of the actual landscape that we're in, where uh, if you believe the wrong thing or say the wrong thing, uh, you can be prosecuted, not just by losing your Twitter handle, but you can go to jail like Julian Assange uh, and, and lose your life. Or be banished from the United States like Edward Snowden. Right. Or 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 your
1: or, or your bank gets frozen or you know, PayPal. Uh, you can no longer make payments on PayPal. Like all this stuff ends yeah, up happening. Lauren right?
2: Southern's parents can't use Airbnb. I, I got banned from Airbnb
1: when I, when all my stuff happened. Wow. I got hit by Uber. My bank froze me. I, I got hit by a bunch of stuff. Why am I a degenerate crypto, bro? It's because I got banned from everything. Wow. <laughs> it's the only economy <laughs> you can
0: use anymore. Yeah. I mean, like
1: my bank <laughs> stuff is handled now, but yeah, no, like all my, all, all I had like all these accounts all around the same string of time, all got banned hmm. um, on stuff. So, uh, this is all back in 2020, uh, 2020, 2021 kind of frame is, is when I got hit on all this stuff. And who am I? I'm just some random kid in Montana. Right. Right. But it ended up happening. Like I was on, I was probably on some list. All these algorithms are speaking to each other or something. I don't know, but mm-hmm. it's just one thing after another. It's kind of like when, um, you know, let's not make this an Andrew Tate podcast. <laughs> you mentioned it before, but it's, it's like when he was talking about how he got banned from everything, uh, it was just like, you just got oh email from this place, email from this place, everything just kind started happening over That's same thing happened to me like two years ago wow
2: um.
0: well before we let that happen to this podcast ask for your help to keep us somehow relevant you know beyond the youtube algorithm that probably wants to cancel us to kingdom come so follow subscribe find these guys or don't find him but find him on twitter <laughs> and uh yeah we thank you for sharing this podcast with anybody that you think is gonna benefit from it And, uh, you know, we want to leave you with these positive notes of like what we can do, because I don't think any of us really believe that this battle is lost. I think a lot of people have a bit of a nihilist view, you know, it's the end of the empire, you know, we're in decline, et cetera, but like it's not over till it's over. Right. right.
1: I'm increasingly optimistic about the level of skepticism of these agencies that we're talking about that just the mass public in general is starting to, it's kind of like part of the collective hive mind of these like, Liberty ideas that people subscribe to. There's an increasing level of skepticism across the populace at large, which I think is positive. Sometimes they might get duped again into the next thing, you know, but I'm
2: happy with where the hive mind is moving towards. (laughs) Join a group organize with people that, you know, there are lots of things you can do. Every, every good thing that has ever been done and to advance a free society was done by someone being entrepreneurial, being brave, articulating what is true carefully And not giving up everything that has everything that good that's ever happened. Civil rights, the end of slavery, um, the abolishment of English corn laws. Like there's petty things and there's real things and there's the deepest things. Each one of these things happened because people cared and they didn't shut off that voice and said, I'm, it's just me, some kid in Manitouk or yak or (laughs) Belgrade. Right. It's, It's people taking ownership of themselves and then saying, if no one else is going to say anything, I'm going to say it and I'm going to pursue it until they stop me and and taking up that, that cause that's the great adventure of your life potentially. And why not pursue that? If you do that, I believe that we can change this system. The world can change. We can inculcate new values, rearticulate a narrative that says America can be a good place where people can prosper, that isn't defined by war and greed, that's defined by people working together to make it a better place uh, and, and solving each other's problems from the bottom up. And I, I, just, I, I, I refuse to believe that all the people, all the good people I know that don't talk about this stuff couldn't just say what they think at the right time and make that little change. Everyone's
0: afraid of the risks inherent with that, but what about the risks inherent with saying nothing and doing nothing? And if, if not us, who, and if not now, when? Thanks. Thanks guys. Thank you for watching. We'll see you in the next episode. Peace. Thanks for tuning in to the Liberty Portal podcast. For more episodes, news, and Liberty focused content, visit libertyportal.com and be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. If you like what you heard on the show, we appreciate you sharing it with your friends and giving us a review on your podcast platform of choice.